I'm John Elsesser, and welcome back for another edition of the State House Express. Today's our tenth stop on the 2021 edition. We found out this past week that the General Assembly is hoping to finish up the session one week early. That means we may see signy day on April 21st or April 22nd, rather than on April 29th. Committees would then have about two and a half weeks to complete their work. Things will soon start moving pretty quickly. The legislature's primary constitutional duty is to pass a budget. Once that's complete, and that probably won't happen until the last few days of the session, but they'll be ready to go home. Any other bills not passed by the time they complete the budget will most likely die. Like everywhere else in the world, conducting business at the State House during COVID has been a challenge. So I think legislators just want to get their work done and then head out of town as soon as humanly possible. On a related issue, the state is scheduled to provide its next revenue forecast on April 12th, which is around the same time that all the bills have to be passed in their second chamber. The revenue forecast is important data in terms of finalizing the budget. So we'll see if they move the forecast earlier or move third reading deadlines later. Time will tell. Last week, the Senate Ed Committee moved three bills, one dealing with course access programs, another making some technical changes related to the new Secretary of Education position, and one dealing with employment training notifications of students with disabilities who left school without at least receiving a Core 40 diploma. The House Ed moved two bills, but neither had any great significance to non-public schools. This week on Thursday, the rescheduled Senate School Funding Subcommittee meeting will be held. We hope to have a number of parents and school leaders there to testify. The opponents will bring in lots of folks as well to voice their opposition. In a tweet I saw over the weekend, former Superintendent of Public Instruction, Jennifer McCormick, encouraged every public school board to show up and testify. Hopefully by now everyone has received a copy of the School Choice Mythbuster document, and we hope you've been able to utilize it with your school communities. But let me just highlight a couple of those Mythbuster items. Some common myths we hear are the exorbitant cost of the choice program, or that students are not receiving a better education when they change schools, or what about choice programs promote segregation? And finally, these programs and schools are not accountable. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but a few facts to bust these myths. Currently, voucher students make up about 3% of the total K-12 population, but they only receive 2% of the total K-12 funding. If the 36,707 students who currently receive vouchers return to public schools, it would cost the state an additional $66,462,739. The state is actually saving money by supporting this program. And in terms of academics, non-public elementary and high schools outperformed their fellow public and charter schools in terms of the pass rates on iLearn in both ELA and math. And the top five schools in terms of growth are all voucher-participating schools. Now, the segregation one made me mad, in case you hadn't picked that up. Students participating in the voucher program are 43% minority. The makeup of the average public school is only 32% minority. Choice programs have helped our schools increase their diversity, not the other way around. And finally, in terms of accountability, schools participating in the voucher program must take the state test and be graded A to F, and are subject to random visits and reviews by the Department of Ed. And most importantly, non-public schools have no guaranteed customer base. If a parent is unhappy with the education that a school provides, they simply take their tuition or voucher and go elsewhere. 
As we enter the final quarter of the session, remember, we need you. Right now, we need you to reach out to your senators. The Senate Appropriations Committee and its chair, Senator Mishler, are critical. Please do your part. And on another note, I had a meeting last week with Cole Dietrich and Andrew Mazur from the Department of Ed regarding EANS 1 and EANS 2. In terms of EANS 1, applications should be available by this Friday. We'll be announcing a follow-up webinar with IDOE probably sometime next week. I know this is spring break time, but don't worry, the sessions will be recorded. Stay tuned for more details on when those webinars will occur. In terms of EANS 2, we're still awaiting the details, but they do anticipate that the state should receive about the same amount of money for EANS 2 as it did with EANS 1, and that was about $81 million. But how it will be allocated may look different. So schools shouldn't assume that they're going to receive the same amount of money as they did last time. As you can see, there's lots going on. Well, that's all I have for this edition of the State House Express. We'll see you next week, same place, same time. And until then, stay well and stay engaged.